Hello, and welcome to Barefoot Mysteries. I'm Pat. And I'm Dave. Hey, Dave. I've got another unsolved mi- Well, no, it's not really an unsolved mystery. It's more like an unsolved motive mystery. Motive mystery. Yeah. Feel like taking a shot at it? I was going to take two shots at it, but if I only get one, I'm going to make it my best. Okay. All right. Good. Keep that gun steady. Ooh, probably gun is not the word I want to use here. (laughs) All right. Uh, Just to let everyone know, this episode does contain sensitive content about familiacide, which some people may find very disturbing. The Lawson family killing is an incredibly haunting case. It took place in 1929 in North Carolina. I do have to warn you that the details of the event are grim. In the circumstances, the killings left this entire community in shock and with heartache. As always, we invite you to kick off your shoes, get comfortable, and join us, your barefoot mystery junkies as we explore the Lawson family killing and the chilling questions that still linger nearly a century later. We begin with Charlie Lawson. It's 1918 and Charlie Lawson picks up his family and follows his younger brothers, Elijah and Marion, to the Germantown area of North Carolina. They needed to work as tenant tobacco farmers in order to survive their move. And it took them probably about two years before Charlie and Fanny were able to save up enough money to buy their own farm. So moving day, they move into their new farm They've, you've got Charlie, who's 43, his wife, Fanny, who's 38, and they have seven children in tow, Arthur, 19, Marie, 17, Carrie, 14, Maribel, 10, two younger brothers, James and Raymond. James is seven and Raymond is five. And then the baby, Mary Lou, who is five months old. They did have another son at one time. His name was William. He was born in 1914, but unfortunately, he passed away from an illness in 1920. That's, that's sad. It is sad. Um, and, you know, we were talking about this earlier as far as they didn't have penicillin. They didn't have a lot of the medications that we have today. And I wonder how many lives might have been saved, especially children, back in in those days if they had had this, had what we are lucky enough to have. Yeah, that we take for granted. Right. Well, it is now two years later on the farm, and it is a week or so before Christmas. And Charlie informs his family to get in the wagon. We're going to town. We are going to have a surprise on Christmas, and we need to get ready for it. So he takes them into town. And he buys them all very expensive clothes. He bought an outfit for himself, one for Fanny, and all of the children. Wow, that's kind of interesting. Oh my God, they must have been so excited. Wow, can you imagine? 
Yeah. That's but very special. There was something else he had arranged for that day. He had arranged to have a family photo taken, a family portrait. Very formal. Yeah, very formal portrait, which, you know, the back in the day, that would be something that the, the rich people did. You know, they had a portrait in their house of the of the families. Yeah, very, very um, expensive. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, and if you look back on it, okay, he's a poor tobacco farmer trying to earn his living out of the dirt. I'm sure all the children worked on that farm as well. And so he had the money to spend on all these new clothes and the portrait. That that's really you know it's kind of a out little of, out of odd. Yeah, seriously. But that's not the only thing that would that seems kind of odd. If you look at how the family was placed for the portrait, that seems a little strange too because you've got Charlie and his eldest daughter Marie in the center of the picture, standing there in the center. While the mother, Fanny, is standing way over to the side holding the baby. And then the other children are surrounding Charlie and Marie. And it's almost like Charlie and Marie were the parents surrounded by their children. Yeah, that does seem rather Isn't it weird? Odd. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like when, because I remember all these other parts, it's always, you know, oh, the staunch mother, maybe perhaps the mother is sitting in a chair and the father is standing next to the mother and then the children are... Yeah, everybody around them. Yeah, yeah, very strange. But in spite of the oddities surrounding the, the family photograph... They seemed to be a very knit, close family, and and the community seemed to feel that they were very, very well respected. And I'm sure that Charlie and his family were very well respected until Christmas Day of 1929. That all changed when Charlie committed one of the most shocking and inexplainable crimes in... North Carolina history. That's not a good thing to be remembered for. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, especially this crime. This is this is unforgivable. Well, so let's let's go to the Lawson farm on Christmas morning. And as you can imagine, I mean, it must have been crazy busy at the farm. The, the children would have been, the noise level alone, probably, the children excited about Christmas. It was, oh, Christmas is finally here. Yeah, all that great excitement. Right. Mom has to get, you know, the the meal ready. And and Marie, the oldest daughter, she woke up early and, and went into the kitchen so she could make the cake. So they would have a beautiful dessert for Christmas because special Christmas cake. is special. Yeah, exactly. Then Charlie sent his oldest son, Arthur, to town. He said, you know, you have to go to town. We don't have enough ammunition for our hunt later. Because back then it was common in that area for the farmers to hunt rabbits on Christmas. So I would imagine that Charlie and Arthur were going to go hunt rabbits, and that's what they would be having for Christmas dinner. Yeah, I would think that would be a, a very popular diet back then. I remember reading a lot of uh, recipes for rabbits. 
back in the, if you look at the old, old, old uh, recipe books, I'm sure, and, and farmer, you know, like Francis F- Fanny Farmer or whatever um, recipes, I'm sure that that's the case. And if you're poor, you are going to go and, and shoot rabbit and, and whatever wildlife you can to, to feed your family. Yeah, especially if you spend all your money on clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Good going, Charlie. So anyway, so Arthur heads off to town and then Carrie, 14, and Maribel, 10, the two sisters, they were all excited because they were going to go visit their aunt and uncle, who also happened to live on a farm very nearby. So here they, they, you know, they leave the house and they're giggling and talking about the, oh, the fun day ahead and, and what's their Christmas surprise is going to be. And it just excitement. I bet their, their little feet never even touched the ground. They were so excited about going over, but they had no way of knowing that their father was hiding behind the barn with a loaded shotgun. No kidding. Oh, Jesus. As they reached the rear end of the farmhouse, or the barn, I'm sorry, not the farmhouse. When they reached the end of the barn where Charlie was hiding, he stepped out from behind the barn and he shot both his daughters. And then he dragged them into the barn and out of sight. No probably way. so no one would see them. Well, What a jerk. Oh, God. Jeez. Fanny, his wife, was sitting on the front porch, and as soon as she heard the shotgun blast, she jumped up, not knowing what was going on. She jumped up and ran screaming into the house, probably, you know, to tell the children, you know, go hide, go hide, Something, something's going on. Somebody bad here. Exactly. Well, Charlie, hearing his wife scream, lost no time in running after her. Um, she had just barely made it inside the door when... Charlie caught up with her, and once again, he pulled the trigger. Wow. In the kitchen, Marie started screaming, and she tried to run away from her father, but wasn't able to avoid also receiving a shotgun to her back. Shotgun blast. Bastard. Now, Marie's two younger brothers, little babies, James, who was seven, and Raymond, who was five, you can imagine, scared to death, going, oh, my God, seeing what's happening. They tried to hide. They were so terrified. They tried to climb into a kitchen cabinet and hide from their father, their actual father. But they were unable to escape, making too much noise, probably breathing so hard that Charlie found them. And yes... He shot them as well. Now that leaves the youngest, five-month-old Mary Lou. So he turned his attention to his daughter. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, God. she This poor little baby, only five months in the world, and laying in her crib, I'm sure startled by the noise of the shotgun, when he came up to her and he did not shoot this daughter. What he did was he beat her, bludgeoned her, which which we think or they surmise that he used the butt end of his shotgun to do so, and he fractured her skull. Um, terrible. Well, yeah. Here's your Christmas surprise. Good Lord. 
No kidding. So poor Arthur is on his way back home. He returns back home. And of course, he doesn't see anything outside. But as soon as he opens that front door, he sees his mother's feet and sees her laying dead on the floor. And then he sees finds Marie and, of course, his two younger brothers and the baby. He's got to be on high alert. Oh, it, he in shock. He's like standing there, unable to move. Just he can't understand and he can't comprehend the horrors that his eyes are showing him. Now he's looking at his family. They're all, they're they've been laid out on the floor now. They're laying in their own blood, a pool of their own blood, but their heads have been placed on a rock. Each head is has been almost, I almost want to say lovingly placed on a rock and their hands have been placed over their chests, which is what you normally see maybe in, you know, before someone's buried. Very, very propped up. Right. You can imagine Arthur so in shock. His next thought is, oh my God, where's my father? My father's been killed too. Yeah, that would be who, your thought. Who did this? Are they still here? So he starts running around trying to find his father and yelling for his father and unable to find him. So he goes back into town and notifies the police and the police come out and they also begin searching for Charlie. Well, a couple of hours later, the police are all going around and they hear another shotgun blast. This one was coming from the woods. They rushed out to the woods and discovered Charlie laying dead next to a tree from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He should have done that to begin with. Oh, God. Jeez. His two small little beagle dogs, which they would have used for hunting back then, Mm -hmm. um, were laying next to him. They were alive, but they were just kind of like, okay, we're... I don't know what he's doing, but or maybe they knew he was dead. Who knows? Now, the police noticed that there were footprints and the dirt around the base of the tree um, had been disturbed. And there were footprints in the dirt that were going around and around the base of the tree. So what they speculated was that Charlie must have come out here, probably intended to kill himself as well, or... Um, from the guilt of having killed his family, decided to, you know, what what am I going to do? What have I done? Maybe circling, what have I done? What have I done? Until he aimed the shotgun at his chest and killed himself. Thank goodness. Yeah, seriously. The, uh, the police did see that there were a couple of letters laying in the dirt next to Charlie's body. They were addressed to Charlie's parents. One note he had written, troubles can cause. And the other one read, no one to blame. No one to blame. I wonder what that means. Just those two things? Yeah. I'm like some of, for me, it's like, well, troubles can cause you to do something you wouldn't normally to do. But then what does no one to blame mean? Those are some confusing notes. Right. And it sounds like he probably was confused. No kidding. But here, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, 
Okay, there's two no's. What would cause him to murder his, I mean, this is a cold-blooded way to to kill your family. It's just, it's like, do you, oh, I don't know. It's just cold-blooded and, and makes no sense to me. It sounds like it was it was planned pretty well, too. From- yeah, it could it could have been planned. I mean, because at first I thought, well, gosh, maybe he just suddenly snapped. You know, it was like temporary insanity, just suddenly, suddenly snap. But there were other theories um, that surrounded the motive. You know, people are trying to come up with a motive of why did he do that? Why did he do that? And there were some neighbors and family fam- family members that at first thought, well, you know, a few months before that, he had hit his head, injured his head when he was working on the farm. So. Maybe he had suffered some sort of mental uh, damage because of that. Some kind of setback, perhaps. Yeah, something that that, and maybe it had taken that long for the the mental illness just started to play with him, and it was because of of that injury that he that he'd had to his head. But an autopsy was performed at the John Hopkins um, Hospital in Maryland, and. They could find no evidence of trauma to the brain, although they did notice something rather odd with his brain. He had, the the injury he had apparently had not affected his brain, but they did notice that there was a section of his brain that was underdeveloped. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, how does one section of the brain not grow with the other? Not enough blood flow, or maybe it was during childbirth. I don't know. Or here's another theory. Could it have been because there was a rumor that his oldest daughter, Marie, had been continually molested by Charlie and that she was pregnant because of it? That might have changed his thought patterns. Could it be that that was more than a rumor, that it was true? And maybe he couldn't face the humiliation that the disgrace that was going to be brought on his, on Marie, his entire family and himself. There were a lot of, you know, people trying to figure it out. And it's just something that you can't really figure out. It wasn't until sometime in the 1990s that an author, there was an author that was writing a book about it. And so, of course, he was interviewing people. Um, And at that time in the 1990s, when he was interviewing people, someone had told him, one of the sister-in-laws had said that Fanny, the wife, had confided to them that she was very worried, she was concerned about what she thought there was a sexual relationship between her daughter and Charlie. And, you know, back then it it was a different day and time and, and she may have suspected it. She may have even known about it, but was afraid of what would happen to her and maybe her family. If, if she, you know, blew the whistle. Yeah. Did anything about it. And it was during that same time with that author that it came out that a friend of Marie's, that the author knew that Marie had confided in her that she was indeed pregnant and that her father was the child's father as well. 
Hmm. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Whatever the motive, I'm going to say that he bought new clothes, expensive new clothes. He spent money on an expensive family portrait. And he got rid of Arthur. You know, let me get Arthur out of the way because Arthur's 19. He's big. He may have been afraid that Arthur was going to stop him. If you put all those t- all three of those together, I would say that this was not a, 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 a momentary lapse in insanity or that he suddenly snapped. This sounds like he it was totally really well thought out of. He planned everything, which makes it a premeditated act of cold-blooded murder. Yes, it I mean, does. That's how it sounds to me. I kind of lean toward that way yeah, also. Yeah, there was, there's just, just too much pointing to that. Now, this motive may never be fully understood. But one thing is certain, that that legacy of that tragedy lives on. The story of this family massacre has been immortalized. I bet you didn't know this, huh? In popular culture, they've had a couple of books written about it. There have been songs written about it. And there was even a movie that was produced. It was called A Christmas Family Tragedy. So, I mean, it's their legacy is living on. Probably not the way Charlie wanted his legacy. I agree. But, oh my gosh. And here we are. All this time has passed. And yet, it still remains one of the most haunted and disturbing cases of mass murder in American history. It just doesn't make any sense where where he came from just, and took it to. Yeah, what it, it is just awful. It's just it's you know almost a hundred years later, and and here we are, not able to figure out why it happened. Now. You know what, Dave? Did I mention haunting? I think you did. I think at the very beginning I mentioned it. You did, yes. Um, I did tell you it was a haunting case, right? You you had mentioned that, yes. Well, want to know why? Um, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's more to the loss and legacy. Oh, you're kidding. Ooh, but if you want to hear more, you're going to have to wait and listen to part two which I'm hoping we'll post shortly. Well, I've I've got my uh, my bare feet on the ground and ready to go. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, we're going to look forward to that. And in the meantime, all of you out there in listening land. Listening land. We love to get feedback from you. What is it that you want to hear? Are there stories that that you have, or even stories that you've written that you want us to read online. We'd love, we'd love to do that. And we love getting our, our listeners feedback. Some of the feedback we've gotten has just made us want to do even more. Agree. So if you would like to send in your stories or, or ideas for us to, to research and, and, and bring online. Can they can they just talk to us about it too? Sure, just give me a call. You know, we're easy to talk to. Yeah, you know what? It'd probably be better if they just 
attached the stories to an email or just wrote us an email with the story and shoot us an email real quick. We'll get it real fast. And our email address, of course, is barefootmysteries at gmail.com. Barefootmysteries at gmail.com. And Dave and I will take a look at them. And again, we love getting your emails and, and hearing all the, all, all the good things that you, you have for us and your suggestions as well. We take them to heart. You bet we do. In the meantime, my dear, wonderful listeners, as always, until next episode, please remember to be good to each other and be safe.